0: Stay tuned for the Katie Halper Show coming up right about now.
1: Welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper. It is September 30th. I can't believe it. It's the last day of September, and I know that because the old ditty, 30 days has September. You can check us out every Wednesday from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on WBAI, 99.5 FM, or WBAI.org. Also check us out on Facebook, the Katie Helper Show, and on iTunes and SoundCloud, where you can subscribe or follow. And as usual, I'm joined by my mates my shipmates if you will i got to my right not ideologically just physically i got gabe pacheco very funny comedian
2: hi i'm here today (laughs) you're right
1: (laughs) thank you thank you gabe for validating what i said i feel like you really recognize me and you're listening to me you know what
2: i heard you yeah uh, i held space for you to say thank you thank you i'm here to reflect back to you what you need to hear
1: thank you so much katie halper is the best
2: yes katie halper is the best
1: (laughs) just kidding (laughs) And of course, we have Reggie Johnson on what's the going on, engineering keyboard, hey, the up, Gamelon guys? of engineering. We have what's a, up? we have a great show today. We have Al Giordano, rebel journalist, expat, contrarian,
2: raccoon tour
1: raccoon <laughs> raccoon tour what goes, is that he's on a raccoon What's, tour a
0: raccoon uh, tour What he's is he's li-
1: he's live in new york city which is a big deal because he lives in the mexico and he's here and he's going to talk about lots of great things and he's going to talk about the 2016 elections and he's going to take down facebook on air it's going to be a historic moment mm. al giordano versus facebook zuckerberg watch out zuckerberg you've been warned giordano's coming for you i'm also going to give al giordano don't let me forget a really important honor when he gets in here Remind me. Okay, and then we're gonna have journalist Natasha Leonard, and she's at Fusion, she's been at Vice, the New York Times, and she was a big activist in Occupy Wall Street. And remember when you hear her talk, she's gonna have a British accent, but it's not fake, it's real. And she's smart. It's not just a British accent. Sometimes you can't tell.
2: Right. British people the accent just gives you like twenty extra ideas to mask. Just
1: like the Australian distract detracts. Yeah. Like 20 points, right? Yeah, it's hard. Subtracts is what I mean. (laughs) That's the word. You you can see how into math I am. Some of you may remember that we talked about the Rosenbergs last week because we spoke with Robert Maripol. It was a really moving interview. And Robert Mirapol had told us that there was going to be a special event honoring his mother, Ethel Rosenberg, who had been killed along with her husband in 1953. Now, I didn't know this until I, I was looking at some stuff after I interviewed Robert Mirapol, one of the two sons of the Rosenbergs. But Ethel Mirapol, when she was electrocuted, they first electrocuted the husband, Julius Rosenberg, and then they electrocuted Ethel Rosenberg. And they didn't kill her the first time. Were they, in the same,
2: were they electrocuted in the same room? Or I, it-
1: yeah, one after the other. I'm pretty sure, but they didn't kill her the first round. They took everything off, like the whatever they tie you down with. They took that off and then and checked her her heart with a stethoscope, and she wasn't dead yet. So they had to do it again.
3: When it appeared that she had received enough electricity to kill an ordinary person and and had received the exact amount that had killed her husband, the doctors went over and pulled down the cheap prison dress, a little dark green printed job, and. Place the, steth- steth- I Place the stethoscopes can't say it. placed the stethoscopes to her and then looked around and looked at each other, rather dumbfounded and seemed surprised that she was not dead, believing she was dead, the attendants had taken off the ghastly strappings and electrodes and black belts and so forth, and these had to be readjusted again, and she was given more electricity, which started again Kind of a ghastly plume of smoke that rose from her head and went up against the skylight uh, overhead. After two more of those jolts, Ethel Rosenberg uh, had met a maker. The
1: really nice thing about the the people who killed the Rosenbergs, though, was that they made sure it didn't conflict with the Sabbath, which is really nice. You know, when you're killing someone, you want to not violate their religious beliefs. Yeah. Uh, I don't actually think the Rosenbergs were religious, but it doesn't matter. It just shows that they were being really thoughtful about it.
4: As they're killing them.
1: Right. Yeah.
4: Awesome. Rabbi Irving Kozlow, a prison chaplain, goes in. He will not leave until after the execution, which is being held before sundown, because the setting of the sun this Friday marks the beginning of the Holy Sabbath in the Jewish calendar.
1: And yesterday they killed a woman in Georgia. Really? Uh, Tell me more. Well, they killed a woman in Georgia. It's the first woman that they've killed in decades, and uh, the Pope tried to intervene on her behalf, but wasn't successful. The good news is they did not kill Richard Glossop today, who is someone in Oklahoma who, unlike the woman who they did kill, who shouldn't have been killed for various reasons, Richard Glossop is just straight up innocent. He did not do the crime. And remember Troy Davis from Georgia? Yes. Mm -hmm. Who also did not do the crime? He was accused by someone who actually did it. The guy who named him was the guy who actually did it. And it's just so interesting because we just were talking about the Rosenbergs and the Rosenbergs The whole story with that is that the reason that Ethel and Julius were named in the first place is because Ethel's brother, David Greenglass, and his wife, Ruth, were named by someone else. And to deflect the blame from themselves, they put it on Julius.
2: Like a musical chairs game of Mm -hmm. snitching. Yeah,
1: yeah, basically. Then they put it on Ethel, even though the government knew that there wasn't enough evidence, but they wanted to use her to lever. Julius. And someone later said, a government high up official said that she called their bluff. And David Greenglass, the brother in law, said, I didn't put her in there at first about his sister, but that my wife did. And, you know, I'm closer to my wife. And, you know, I don't, he's, he literally said, I don't sleep with my sister. Right. So that's good to know. I'm glad that he, he values uh, the incest taboo. Uh, <laughs> it would be nice if he valued, you know, like his honesty or wife. not killing. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Um. So mm. we're going to play for you a report that Richard Barr did for WBAI at the event on Monday that Robert Mirapol told us about. Remember, his mother was honored, and this is what happened. He couldn't tell us the details, but now we're divulging them to you, and I was there too. This is a great report from Richard Barr.
5: <laughs> Ethel Rosenberg was executed with her husband Julius at the height of Cold War hysteria in 1953. Many have long thought that her conviction and execution for assisting in an attempt to convey atomic secrets to the Soviet Union was based on trumped-up charges. More recently released evidence has strongly supported that conclusion. So on her birthday, members of the City Council and the Manhattan Borough President gathered at City Hall with a proclamation and recognition. City Councilman Danny Drum explains why he and 12 of his colleagues were presenting the proclamation to the Rosenberg Sons today.
1: When Ethel was convicted, it was a time of Jew-baiting, it was a time of McCarthyism, a time of anti-communist hysteria, and it's time now that we begin to right the wrong of what happened to Ethel Rosenberg.
5: Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer spoke of Ethel's place in a pantheon of progressive women activists.
2: Her story sounds like many others who are inspired and passionate New York women whose activism at a young age shaped the city's labor movement, Bessie Abramowitz-Hillman, or Clara Lemlet shebson or Pauline Newman, all women whom we honor over and over again. The difference, of course, is that Ethel Rosenberg's life was tragically stolen from her by the U.S. government when she was only 38 and the mother of two young boys. As we know from indisputable evidence uncovered by her children and grandchildren, she was not a Soviet
0: spy.
5: Robert and Michael Mirapol, the Rosenberg sons, have conducted a long campaign to bring just recognition to the unfairness of their parents' prosecution. Here's Robert.
6: Today, a major elected institution of this great city and Manhattan's borough president have taken important steps towards acknowledging a terrible injustice. Next, it is time for the federal government to step up and do the same. And one final thank you to my parents, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, for their courage, their faithfulness to their ideals, and their activism to create a better world for their children.
7: This past summer, a judge ordered the unsealing of the grand jury testimony of the chief witness against our parents.
5: Michael Mirapol said the recent evidence finally proves that his mother was not an espionage agent.
7: We believe The government framed her to put pressure on our father. They took her as a hostage and then murdered her when our father refused to falsely confess to atomic espionage and name names. We call upon Attorney General Lynch and President Obama to acknowledge the injustice done to Ethel Rosenberg as a way of learning from our past
5: Those wishing to add their voices to a campaign to convince the President and Attorney General to act can follow the website of the Rosenberg Fund for Children, www.rfc.org, for further details. Richard Barr, WBAI News, New York.
1: We are back on the Katie Halper Show. I'm here with Gay Pacheco and Reggie Johnson. That was a report filed by Richard Barr about the Ethel Rosenberg Day of Justice. So there was a day named after Ethel Rosenberg, and she was honored by 13 members of the city council and by Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer. And we're excited to bring in very shortly Al Giordano and then Natasha Leonard. We have a great show coming up for you. Now, we want to talk to you about another story. You guys may have heard of Planned Parenthood. Oh, I know all uh, about yeah, it. Yeah, I
0: heard something about that. Yeah.
1: So, Cecile Richards, who is Anne Richards' daughter, by the way, in case you didn't know that, she was testifying in front of Congress because, as you may have heard, and we talked about this before, even though the GOP loves Rosa Parks, because she got rid of racism, as they <laughs> tweeted a couple years ago on her birthday, and what a birthday present that is, they love Rosa, but... Rosa Parks sat on the National Board of Planned Parenthood.
5: Mm-hmm. It's just
1: a thing that they're going to have to work out when they put her on the $10 bill. That would be great if they showed her like with w- some kind of... With
0: a certificate of Planned, yeah, Parenthood, Planned Parenthood behind her? Thing. Yeah, exactly. Or like an anti...
1: That old, uh, remember that old symbol? Do you guys know that, the symbol of the hanger with the X through it? With yeah, the y yeah, y yeah. It? yeah Gabe, you're is. too young to know yeah, about I, this, I know even though you're is. older than me. Because you, unlike me, <laughs> didn't go to pro-choice NARAL rallies in Washington, D.C. when you were seven.
2: No, no, my so, parents weren't that no. militant. So
1: I have a leg up on you. But
2: I did go to Hands Across America. What's that? Well, Oh, that was, I went there too. Remember that, Reggie? I remember that. It was that. like a failed feel-good attempt to bring it, the country together. It, good
0: intentions that wasn't r- really executed. Kumbaya, yeah, yeah. yeah, It was like it was supposed to be the world's longest human chain. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was supposed to, hypothetically, it was supposed to have been from New York to Los Angeles. That's Everyone was way too ambitious. Yeah, and, and they only got as far as Washington, D.C. I mean,
1: I'd expect Washington Heights.
8: Yeah, well, like, from
1: Manhattan to Washington Heights, I'd yeah. be impressed. Or and lower Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. That would be yeah. achievable. Cecile Richards was testifying before the House Oversight Committee, which began investigating Planned Parenthood after these sting videos were released. And of course, they're fake, and it's by an anti-abortion group that showed Planned Parenthood executives discussing the sale of fetal tissue, but it wasn't the sale. It's it's just that they give it to, to hospitals so that they can use it for good. And so now the Republicans are even more intent on defunding Planned Parenthood. So this is a great interaction between Ms. Richards and Representative Jason Chaffetz, from, who's a Republican, half Jewish, half Christian scientist, by the way,
0: Internal conflict.
1: Yeah, I don't know how he yeah. deals with it. So even a hypochondriac not even that can't take medicine. Oh my God, Gabe, you nailed it. And you know that wow. because you aren't Jewish, but you're an honorary Jew and you're a bit of a hypochondriac. I don't know if you're hypochondriac when you actually are sick all the time, <laughs> right? That's interesting, but very good insight. I like that a lot. So we're going to play this exchange between them. And Chafitz thinks that he busts Ms. Richards, but he doesn't and you'll see it backfires. But listen to how well he knows stuff like what a mammogram You're talking has.
0: about the Planned Parenthood.
6: Yes. Yeah. In the case of Dana, she came to Planned Parenthood, did she get a mammogram?
7: No, she was referred for a mammogram. Absolutely.
6: And that's part of the challenge, is that you don't do mammograms, so if you... We... Didn't... Go well, ahead. You don't do mammograms.
7: Okay. If you would give me one moment to explain, sure. Planned Parenthood is a women's health center just like where I go for my breast exams every year. If you need a mammogram, you're referred to a radiological center, and that's how women actually receive their care. And we, we provide breast exams to, I can get you the numbers of how many hundreds of thousands of women received breast exams at Planned Parenthood last year. We are to last highly my, accountable. Excuse my time,
6: I'm, I've gone over time. I need to show this last slide. This one I don't understand. Here, here's you the problem. created this Last slide. Day, I have I'm no idea what it, it is. Well, it's the reduction over the course of years in pink. That's the reduction in the breast exams. And the red is the increase in the abortions. I, That's what's is, going on in your organization. This,
7: this, is a, this is a slide that has never been shown to me before. I'm happy to look at it. and uh, number- It absolutely does not reflect what's happening at Planned Parenthood.
6: You're going to deny that if we take those numbers out the of your slide report? I'm
7: going that you've just shown me that you, no one has ever provided us before. It doesn't feel like we're trying to get to the truth here. You just showed me this. I'm happy to look at it.
6: I pulled those numbers directly out of your corporate reports. Oh, my excuse time is me. My there. loggers are informing
7: me that the source of this is actually Americans United for Life, which is an anti-abortion group. So
6: I would check your source. Then we will get to, this, to the bottom of the truth of that. Mm-hmm.
1: How amazing is that? That, again, was Cecile Richards from Planned Parenthood and Rep Chaffetz talking about Planned Parenthood, what it does and he thinks that he busts her with a chart that yeah. he pretends he did based on research and numbers but it's actually a piece of propaganda that isn't true and is from an anti-choice website. Like, It's not just that he lies. That, that's He's like pretending he's an overachiever. It's, it's like such a fail.
2: It's like getting all of your like dinosaur facts from an evolution museum.
1: Exactly. But then saying or, you did it yourself and it's like no that's the placemat or, that they sell at the creation museum. Yeah the creation
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: I was picking up where you're putting down. Yeah. Like, the, But the earth
0: is only been around for five thousand years what are yeah. you talking about it's
2: also flat reg
0: that
4: too yeah
1: reg which made it that easier it would have made it you'd think would have made it easier and cavemen coexist change. with the human dinosaurs
0: change. i've
2: watched i've watched the flintstones
0: yeah but, absolutely uh,
1: i love the way he's like so you don't do mammograms there she's like no mammograms require going to a place where they put you she doesn't say this but they apparently yeah um, i'm under the mammogram age it's coming up yeah. so they like <laughs> squash your breast in a machine and you have to a, have a special facility yeah, to do that. But yeah. they bre- they screen uh, you for breast a,
2: squashing a, facility.
1: That's what it's called. But they do like give them breast exams. So, yeah, they do save, save lives in that way. So he thought he was like, gotcha. Anyway, it's fun when when Republicans try to talk about female anatomy in any way. We are going to take a quick break, play a song from our upcoming guest, Al Giordano. But before I forget, I want to give you a heads up that pretty soon, pretty soon. The 14th, that's our next show because we're off next week because of fundraising drive, but we'll be back on the 14th. Judah is going to be on, The Comedian.
2: So funny. Loved so him on great. 30 Rock. So great. So great
1: on 30 Rock. And then on the 28th, not a big deal. Just Ta-Nehisi Coates is coming on. What? Yes. Exactly. Oh, my God. Just finished The 28th. On, the 28th. Yeah. Nice. All right. Nice. So, Reggie, don't call and sick that day. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm so bored with
4: you people. i so bored with you people. I'm so bored. Why don't you show some fighting spirit? Let us see it. Let us hear it. I'm so bored with you people. I'm so bored. Like that kid over there. Che Guevara t-shirt, I asked him which of Che's books or essays was his favorite, was it Guerra de Guerrias, or Los Diarios de Che and Bolivia, hey kid, put, put down, down that, that bongo, bongo.
1: And welcome back to the Katie Halper Show. You're here listening to the Katie Halper Show. I'm here with Gabe Pacheco, Reggie Johnson, and right in the room, just walked into the room, scared the bejesus out of me, Al Giordano, journalist, rabble-rouser, musician. He sang and recorded that song and wrote that song we just heard, I'm So Bored, but we're not going to be so bored because we're talking with him live in studio. Hi, Al. Hey, Katie. Thanks for coming.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, of course. This is so exciting. Thanks
4: for letting me in New York City.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I, t- I spoke to my people, the Goldbergs, the Steins, and we decided to let you in and talk to the people at the media. We also decided we'd let you be part of it for a day. You probably are, are very well aware of the Rosenberg case, right? Sure. Because you are an honorary Jew, so it's part of our shared heritage.
4: Of course. Well, and I know the Mirpol guys. Oh, you do? Yeah, cool. they friends, yeah.
1: Oh, well, you know, of course, their daughter, Rachel, was my counselor it's kinderland
4: i could have guessed yeah, that yeah of course yeah. right
2: it's all connected it's
1: all connected yeah i just what i right <laughs> Yes exactly. So I wanted before we start talking with Al I wanted to sh- to like baptize have a baptism ceremony. You do that? Boy well, kind of it's baptism by fire and laughter. So I wanted to play a little thing. I did the Alan Combs show on Friday you know Alan Combs is the liberal on Fox News. So I get to go to the Fox building and be on this radio show. And I had brought up the Rosenbergs during the show. This was on Friday. And there's a caller who's apparently regular. He didn't like what I had to say, and I wanted to share it with you guys. And I think that, Al, you'll have a lot of insight into this. And I want to prepare you for what's coming now that you're a Jew.
0: There are two parties.
6: Who is oh, – this, this is Mr. – D- hold on, Mr. Doflerson from Bangor, Maine, one of our regular callers.
0: The party of Christ oh, and the party of Antichrist. Mm-hmm. And the Antichrist Julius and Ethel Rosenberg are in hell suffering the torments of the damned. I have in my hands a document which states that Ethel Rosenberg traveled to Los Alamos to get secrets about the atomic bomb.
1: Yeah, but that's been disproven by the 300,000 300, well, records. There are 300,000 ah. files released. And you Ethel- are a liar.
0: Where <laughs> a me. categorical okay, tell, liar. Can you
1: but tell me where you found this document.
0: <laughs> I have the official handbook, which contains a memo from uh, J. Edgar Hoover.
1: Oh, very There's reliable. Can stop go ahead. Go ahead. stop, he, he stop your
0: cackling what? and your muttering, so that that's people can hear the truth. That's not
1: that's cackling.
0: The informant God. was none other than Ethel Rosenberg's
1: right, David Greenglass David Green that's right. And this summer, it was confirmed that he perjured himself. Absolutely
0: false. We have no. the cables.
1: Who's we? we? The,
0: am I allowed to speak?
1: Oh, God, Now it's no. Yes, go ahead.
0: We have the Soviet cables. Which Which is we? Who's we? Who's we? But who's, tell
1: us who we is.
0: You liars <laughs> in New York City, you <laughs> nest of reds and communists.
7: No, we want to know who we is. You, your phone, phone, you, you have phone. revealed
0: right. yourself to the public as closet reds and communists. Yeah. will not allow the truth to be spoken. Wait,
5: would you just tell us who we is and then you can move you on?
0: You will not allow me to do that. You you love- love- antichrist <laughs> all right sir.
1: so that can't was right, me getting right. called an antichrist that's what you have to look forward wow. to wow a now nester yeah. a nest what was it
4: yeah but 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 the proper english is who are we
1: who are we you're right you're yeah, right it's true so, that's a very good point uh, but well you and,
4: know I, I i should bring some some grammar to 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 my new faith
1: yes you should yes, yes. because we're very you know grammatically correct and precise people, in case you haven't noticed. Al, you're here in New York City. Tell us why you're here.
4: We're here to celebrate the 15th anniversary of Narco News. Yay! And and, uh, Narco News started out in the year 2000, and in fact, uh, in that year, Mario Menendez, a Mexican journalist, and I came to the studios of WBAI, and we were promptly sued by the National Bank of Mexico for what we said on this fine station in the New York Supreme Court and in that case we won and with the victory won first amendment rights for all internet journalists and so WBAI is very much part of the narco news history and uh... uh... we're gonna celebrate saturday night you can all write to me send me an email at narconews at gmail.com if you want an invitation uh... we're also going to introduce uh... uh this year's uh, scholars to the school of authentic journalism we have two coming from new york city uh, Hira Nabi from Queens, and um, Daviana Sebastian from Norwood in the Bronx, which is the neighborhood next neighborhood over from the neighborhood where I grew up, over near Mashaloo Parkway.
1: And it's my ethnic heritage. I'm half Queensian, half Bronxian, so put them together and yeah. basically have me. And can you tell us about what the School of Authentic Journalism is?
4: Yeah, well, during that lawsuit, uh, I received literally hundreds of emails from young journalists and young journalism students from all over the world saying, I hate what they're teaching me in journalism school. I got into this to change the world. They won't let me report anything that's true or right in my newspaper job. Can we come work as an intern in your office? and there was no office. This was me in Mexico in an indigenous community that just had gotten dial-up internet and uh, so I talked with uh, the late Gary Webb, I talked with some other friends uh, who were radical journalists and I said let's do a school for these kids, let's let's invite them down to Mexico, let's go raise some money, let's not charge any tuition and it grew from six scholars to 25 for the first school in 2003 and then uh, it was in 2010. We had a new scholar named Katie Halper, who has returned every year, uh, like others of the graduates do, uh, as a professor, and will be joining us in Mexico this November. We're going to steal her away from you, WBAI users, but just for a week.
1: Yeah, the nest of communist hordes that are, that are WBAI listeners. It's a very addictive. There's a high recidivism rate, right? People yes, who, yes, very who high. Go to yes. The, the School of Authentic Journalism. It's a really great place, and It's interesting. One of the things that I love about the School of Authentic Journalism is that it really prioritizes having fun while you change the world. I feel like the left doesn't do a very good job of that.
4: Oh no! Really?
1: I know, right? See, that, I'm gonna I go left, out. I
4: left town 18 years ago, and that already happened.
1: Exactly.
4: Yeah. You know, most universities and and schools work on the operating principle of fear. You better get a good grade. You better do your homework, or you're not graduating. And we're just going to take your money anyway. And that's and I think fear is a bad motivator for people learning things. I think that um, uh, that that uh, Pleasure is a much better motivator. Ah, right. And if, if people are happy and if people are really enjoying themselves, they retain information and knowledge much better. And so, uh, I don't know, you, you've attended the school. How would you say pleasure is a factor there?
1: Uh, it's like part of the curriculum, I would say. And it's very, it's very good. Uh,
4: mandatory fun.
1: Yeah, it is. It is basically mandatory fun but I like it because it really owns that like I like that it acknowledges that that's something important because I feel like the left needs to be more funner because sometimes we can be a little
2: who was it we had a guest here who had a a tattoo that said uh, I don't want to be part of a revolution where you can't dance Yeah,
1: which is a kind of it's a kind of Emma Goldman quote but I think it's not so but yeah Sarah Jaffe Yes. Yes, exactly. If I can't dance I, I don't might want to paraphrasing be part it. of your revolution. No, it's gave it's fine. You did a great job.
2: Can you tell me a little bit about this curriculum if for someone that's interested in going uh when you go down how long is the program?
4: Well, the this is a Spanish language only school so it will be 5 days. And uh the the bilingual school is a 10-day affair because we translate everything in real time and it takes twice as long to do everything. But there's two tracks. There's uh Uh, bettering our skills as journalists, as as video makers, as uh, writers of viral video scripts, as uh, how to write a news story, how to hold a camera, how to use it, things like that. And then there's um, the track of civil resistance. Uh, We think that to cover social movements as as journalists, we need to understand strategy. We need to look at what social movements have won their battles from Bolivia to South Africa to Egypt Uh, to parts of the United States and other places, and what social movements have lost their battles, which is the grand majority of them. And in this study, we found that movements that win, even though they come up with these tactics and strategies quite differently from different lands and different cultural contexts, end up using very similar strategies and tactics. And movements that lose end up using... Themselves, very similar strategy or lack of strategy and tactics. So, you know, a lot of meetings, a lot of marching around and screaming, but not really any sense of sequence, tactics, and that kind of thing. And so, uh, we train people how to think as strategists by putting them through role plays, by uh, by by looking at the big very vanilla picture of things. Role
1: plays. Very vanilla. Are Nothing. they very kinky, the role plays. I just don't oh. want people to get... Oh, okay.
4: Right. Not idea. lots of,
2: like, doms and stuff Yeah, not so much.
1: I mean, maybe on a sociopolitical level. I don't, how,
4: how How your Cecilia called me at one school, a, 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 a nonviolence advocate with a whip? Oh, nice. Yeah, so... You
1: must have been... Did you get that, like, on your website? You should put it on...
4: Yeah, I should get business cards, yeah.
1: Speaking of social movements... Let's talk about social networks. What are your thoughts on Facebook, Al Giordano?
4: Well, as a matter of fact, uh, Narco News is taking its 27,000 members on our page in Facebook, and we're leaving Facebook. Uh, A number of things have contributed to it. You remember seven or eight years ago when everybody was on MySpace. You Mm, know, musicians were on MySpace. Gay people were on MySpace. Mexican-Americans were on—everybody was on MySpace— And then one day, everybody moved to Facebook overnight. And when Facebook first started out, people said, oh, you're crazy. Nothing's ever going to replace MySpace. MySpace is the biggest thing in the world. And then it all happened. Well, now there's this new thing called Sue. T-S-U dot co. Not a dot com, a dot co. Sue dot co. Get out your pen and paper, folks, and I'll repeat it later on. And uh, this place is basically a lot like Facebook, except They don't take 100% of the value of the ads being sold on your creativity and labor and on your relationships. Facebook said to us in 2008, come on over to Facebook. You can build your networks there. You can have unfettered access, unbridled access to your communities. And we took them seriously. We did. We built a community of 27,000 people with narco news on Facebook. In December of 2012, they imposed an algorithm that says, Every post you put on that page only reaches 5% of of your people. You can reach them now. You just have to take out advertisements. Well, Sue has come along and said, first of all, we're never going to take away your access to the networks you build here. But even better, we're going to return 90% of the ad revenues to the users. Now, I got on this thing kind of on a lark back in May, and I've already made more than $1,200 just by screwing around the way I used to do on Facebook. And uh, the Fund for Authentic Journalism has made even more and receives donations there. And the other amazing thing about Sue.co is that they don't charge any percent or fee for donations made. So there's people who are like using Sue and they don't really need the money. I'm, I mean, they're not like me. And uh, so they um, donate the money they make to charities. And wow. Sue, unlike PayPal, unlike Kickstarter, unlike Amazon, doesn't take a percentage. All the money goes to the charities. and so. But you need a passcode. You need to sign up through somebody. So if you want to sign up t- through the Fund for Authentic Journalism, which is Narco News and the school we've been talking about, just uh, go to co slash authentic journalism. All one word. I'll repeat that in one more time before we're done.
1: Awesome. Not to be confused with its major competitor, slash inauthentic journalism.
4: Yeah, well. Which is every other. Everything. Yeah, That's yeah. everything, yeah.
8: Yeah,
1: exactly. And Al, you are a big election guru uh... during the twenty twelve election twenty eight two 2012, 2012, off, 2012 yeah. off sorry that was me retroactively applying wishful thinking and in, in two thousand eight it was kind of nate silvers five thirty eight and the field Don is the field you're pretty good with numbers because as our jews you know we're good with them yep. exactly so what's gonna happen in twenty sixteen what are your predictions what do you think about papa joe biden well
4: you know katie when i met you was uh... we had both been invited to the two thousand eight net roots convention right. And uh, and I saw I caught your act there. I said, this is this is the smart kind of person we're looking for for the school and basically recruited you and and then tapped you to uh, do convention blogging uh, for the field during during the Democratic National Convention in Denver. But when Obama named uh, Biden as his, his vice presidential nominee, Katie goes out there and says, finally, we have a gilf.
1: Of, oh no! I believe I called Nancy Pelosi a gilf, but when with Biden, I called him a v-pilf.
4: Oh, okay. All yeah, right. But,
1: he, but we could call Biden a gilf too. We'll, but we'll but double like crown now, him. now,
4: he's a, he's, a, he's an old man now. Do you still find him hot? You know? uh,
1: he, it's the passion. You know, I feel like he's a lot of stamina. He's very hot blooded. Very hot blooded. Says what is on his mind, and in fact, I was really excited. He said something about Shylock; it wasn't particularly anti-Semitic. He just called some bankers Shylocks, and I was like, finally, because he said stuff about Indians, about all these other people. I'm like, and both Indians, by the way, of course, because he's that prolific. So I finally felt recognized by him when he did that, like but the
2: Don Rickles of vice presidents.
1: Exactly. It was really funny because there was some reporter on CNN, I forget his name, talking about his racial racial gaffes, and he literally said, the reporter literally said, um. Well, he certainly does tend to wander off the reservation, Just like, wow, way to, way to show and not t- just tell. Yes. Um, but I will say Joe Biden, the reason I was just upset because Sarah Palin was getting all the, was being called sexy and beautiful, and I pretended that I was upset because it was objectifying, but really the reason I was upset was because I thought Joe Biden deserved that praise. And you may probably, most people haven't noticed this, but he actually rocks Al Sharpton's hairdo better than Al Sharpton himself. Yeah, you heard me. I said it. He does. (laughs) What do you think of Biden? Just
4: like eight years ago, uh, to quote the late Yogi Berra, it's deja vu all all over over again, again. you know. Everybody says, well, Secretary Clinton's going to win. Clinton's got this thing in the bag. Um, then along comes you know Bernie Sanders to show that you know she doesn't necessarily have it in the bag but Bernie's having a problem and that his all, all of his voters are white in right. the polls he's he's not getting African Americans and Latinos in part because of policies he supported and in part just cuz he doesn't have much history working with the whole wide democratic party coalition but
1: has he supported racist policies or i mean he
4: he voted against Ted Kennedy's comprehensive immigration reform wow. bill in two 2000- thousand. 2007. He thinks guest workers are taking jobs oh, away. Oh, it's
1: like they're he and Pat Buchanan kiss. Yeah. Got it.
4: So there's a limit there. And then, you know, Joe Biden, his son died earlier this yeah. year. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, recovery from that. But he, ever since he started saying that he might run for president. Our friend Nate Silver did did a very nice piece on this showing the pattern of negative stories Mm. for Hillary Clinton and that there are three kinds of negative stories for Hillary Clinton right now. One, uh, stories about her email scandal. Two, stories about Joe Biden, because he's eating up the oxygen, and by comparison, she's not looking so good. And three, stories about her poll numbers going down. And every day in the press, in the media, one of these stories is running, and she can't get any oxygen, and her numbers keep going down. And I have to think that, you know, the people at the White House are very smart at politics. They have to know. They have to be looking at these polling numbers saying that Joe doing a will he or won't he thing is driving... Clinton's numbers down. Now somebody like me looks at that and says well that means that the White House doesn't want Clinton to be the nominee. And there are a lot of Obama supporters out there, a lot of particularly the organizers who went through Camp Obama back in 2008 and again in 2012 who kind of feel like they want a third term. They're resentful that the Constitution bans Obama from running for a third term and, and they see in Biden the possibility for a third term that run—because Biden isn't going to run from Obama. He's not doing like the Clinton thing or the, the, the Sanders thing, thing where he's trying to separate himself from Obama. And— uh, you know, I mean, whether or not you like Obama, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, hardball politics. You know, the fact is, if you can put the Obama coalition back together and inspire the same groups of people to turn out in big numbers, you win the election. And there's no guarantee that Clinton or Sanders can do that. And so I have to believe that he's going to get in. And I just saw an interesting thing in that, um, Obama has called his organizing for Action group to Washington t- during November, and they're even giving out you know win a free weekend and, and meet President Obama wow. uh, kind of contest things to 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 people now, now he's calling them together for a reason they're going to be given some kind of marching orders, and this is right around the time of the November sixth debate in South Carolina. Wow. Uh, I mean, look at the calendar upcoming. October 13th, there's a Democratic debate. Biden probably won't show up. And his, his, his presence will be even bigger through his absence. Right. Then you have um, October 26th, Clinton has to testify before Congress mm-hmm. about the whole Benghazi thing. And she has to completely ace that. And the media has to agree that she aced it or she loses more right. ground. Then November 6th, the South Carolina debate. Moderated by Jim Clyburn. Mm. And so that is where I think if Biden's going to get in, he's going to get in there. And then simultaneously, Obama suddenly calls all his community organizers to Washington. Something's up.
1: Right. Okay, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Something's up with Biden, and something will be up with Biden. Al
4: Giordano's prediction a- And to, to bring it all full circle. And bring it
1: all full circle.
4: Uh, I will be blo- doing all my ca- 2016 campaign blogging on sue.co. Sue.co. Yeah,
1: now, I want everyone to know, Al is not related to anyone who founded sue.co. No,
4: I, 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 but, I but I make money right, off it. Right, but you're very yeah.
1: transparent about it. Yeah.
4: A- and the fund for, I donated all to the Fund right. for Authentic Journalism uh, so we can give more scholarships out, right. and it's really working out well. And it's a great place. It's not filled with the drama. You know, teenagers won't join facebook anymore they're like no that's where our parents hang out and it's full of drama we don't want to go near facebook and so
1: it's not the teenagers who have drama it's the middle-aged people of drama
4: yeah it's it's the it's the aging hippies you know it's the baby boomers basically and um more um, than middle-aged i guess but and, and and so so you have uh uh the, this great place, and and I'm going to be doing it all there in a group called the Democratic Convention over oh. on Sue. Uh, the, the reader, the readers, the users of the place create the groups. It's it's all group. It's all it. All the content is driven by us. But you know, Sue collects the manager's fee of yeah. of ten percent. The agent's fee with right. the way it used to be in the good old days when musicians and artists you and don't photographers. Pay, don't pay anything. Nothing. It's okay. all free. You That's just free. sign up to tsu.co slash authentic journalism. And uh, and if you need any help, just you know contact me. I'm Al Giordano. And I have a a Sue account. Kt helps. Kt
1: helps. Letter K, letter T helps, like my Twitter name. Well, we will see you at Sue. That you will. Uh, Thank you so much, Al. We'll have you back another time, hopefully next. Hopefully, I'll get
4: sued for coming on WBAI again. Yeah,
1: and about Sue.co. And then Sue.co will have to fundraise for you to get you uh, legal representation. That's
4: why we wanted to make sure Zuckerberg listened. You know? Oh, yeah, Just, Zuckerberg, you know.
1: I hope you're listening. It's, yeah. Ju- it's some Jew-on-Jew Ju- Ju libel stuff. Yeah. Uh, or truth-telling stuff. Don't go anywhere. We're playing another one of Al's great songs. And then we're bringing on Natasha Leonard, journalist with Fusion and all around pretty brilliant lady. Okay.
4: sang this song on... few blocks from here where we had 20,000 people march on Wall Street, and then a 1,000 of us were arrested the next day, and, um, well, let's try it out again, and uh, you'll have to excuse me if it's a little rusty. I'll tell you the story. Of Western Massachusetts, it's a wonderful place. We never wanna lose it. But nineteen years ago, in the mountains of Rhodes, they built a nuclear power plant in haste. did it
1: welcome wait, back to work. the Katie Helper Show. I'm your host, Katie Helper, here with Gabe Pacheco, Reggie Johnson. That was Take It to Wall Street by Al Giordano from Narco News um, and the School of Authentic Journalism, and we're thrilled to have with us Natasha Leonard, journalist at Fusion, formerly at Vice, New York Times, and big Occupy Wall Street organizer, can I call you that? Yeah, yeah I think I that's, fair, that's enough. fair enough. Right? <laughs> Natasha, you wrote some amazing pieces at Fusion about the refugee crisis. You wrote a piece called We Should Stop Saying That Europe Is Facing a Refugee Crisis. I'm just going to read a quote from that if it's okay. Sure, go ahead. Europe Faces a Refugee Crisis, that's in quotes. This seems to be the standard media description of the current movement of refugees to Europe, the largest migration to the continent since World War II, with at least a million expected to reach the EU in 2015. Refugees fleeing unlivable lives in Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Eritrea, Somalia and beyond face a gauntlet of crises but what exactly is the crisis that Europe faces there is a challenge and it is no small one of resettling eventually millions of displaced people but Europe's challenge is not something it can avoid or ignore in other words it's a new reality to call reality a crisis risks refusing to face it as anything more than temporary or exceptional in this case it is neither so can you talk about that and why you're so loath to call it a European crisis.
8: Yes, absolutely. So I think the invocation of the word crisis makes sense when you're trying to sort of shake world powers and general public attention to, you know, really look at a catastrophe facing so many displaced people, fleeing war, as in Syria, and dictatorial uh, repression, as in Eritrea. Um, but every time the word crisis is used, and not just in this case, I think we have to be really careful about how it's deployed and weaponized because it's, it subtly and tacitly asserts that we had this underlying fineness or normality and then there's something in sort of existential threat um, that needs defending. And so when we say Europe faces a refugee crisis... Um what exactly about Europe is under threat here um and uh you know uh, even if um 5 million refugees came to Europe that's 1% of the current population of the European Union. Uh, that's not a crisis that can be dealt with. It's a huge management task. But to say it's a crisis, I think is dangerous, because it, it plays into the rhetoric of people like Prime Minister Orban of Hungary, who says we're being overrun. And that fuels a kind of defensive nationalism that really does create more of a crisis for the refugees and not for Europe right
1: so it's it's interesting because it's kind of like there's this fine balance right you want people to empathize with the people fleeing these countries are are experiencing crises right, right. But one person's crisis is not the receiving country's crisis. Right.
8: And um, and I think that's uh, one of those moments where, you know, rhetoric matters because uh, you really we really do need to mobilize not just world powers, but, you know, the inhabitants of Europe to be. Welcoming, and to to realize there needs to be a lot of ground up uh, infrastructure and, and activism around, uh, you know, respectfully letting people live lives in Europe. Um, and the other way the word crisis is being used, which is perhaps less dangerous, but I think is kind of ill thought, is when people are seeing things like. Uh, Germany putting border controls in place with uh, Austria, which uh, has not happened for many years and really seems to be the opposite of what the Schengen Agreement for free movement within Europe established. A lot of kind of liberal commentariat are saying, oh, God, but Europe free movement is under threat. Weren't we supposed to be this generous liberal project? And I think we have to be more real. Like, no, Europe was never... The, the free movement agreements in Europe were never designed to be and just super for our welcoming. Can
1: you explain what those free movement agreements were?
8: Oh, sure. So, um, part of the formation part of the formation of the European Union led to an agreement called Schengen, which meant that within. Uh, the member states of this agreement, you could uh, just move through without passport control and customs checks. And this wasn't always the whole of Europe, and there are European countries not part of Schengen, and a couple that aren't even part of the Union. But every time the Schengen zone expanded, there was always a lot of care to really uh, shore up Fortress Europe. It didn't create an open space for desperate peoples at all. It just created a very uh, controlled super state within which its members could move around. So I think to pretend there was this great generous amazing always liberal project of europe that's failing itself now is unrealistic no europe has to step up and maybe be better than it's ever historically been
1: so you're saying that people are kind of taking a defensive position towards europe yeah
8: or i think they're just um creating this mythos which i can see why they're doing it saying guys live up to the ideal oh, I see what you're okay live up to the ideal that europe promised but i think there's always a risk of being slightly ahistorical mm-hmm. Um, you know, there should be, a, a, there needs to be a policy for managing the huge influx of very desperate people and people who have taken it upon themselves to to flee impossible situations. But I don't think, I don't think we'll get anywhere realistic if we're uh, assuming there's this wonderful, wonderful Europe, because that can also feed into a nationalist rhetoric right. that's right. protective. Right, and xenophobic and... Mm-hmm. But-
1: can you also talk about this really fascinating article you wrote, there's a double standard for showing white and non-white corpses in
8: the media? I wrote that article a couple of weeks ago when the images uh, emerged of, first it was a number of uh, drowned bodies, and then um, the, the picture that really caught uh, international attention in the news media was of uh, the, the toddler who drowned and washed up on uh, a Bodrum beach in Turkey. Um, And it was actually the same week or or just the week after there was the on-air shooting of a news anchor and it sort of struck me that there was this very understandable urge to immediately remove that that picture, those images, that video footage that the killer had taken from from all online and media platforms. And even, you know, the newspapers like the New York Post published, you know, the moment the shot was fired picture and were, got a lot of sense here. The
1: always tasteful New York Post.
8: Always tasteful in the same way when James Foley's beheading video um, was spread, they published this sort of just moment the knife was on the throat image. Um, But, you know, other media platforms swiftly banned that footage as they do with most ISIS videos. But um, And there are ethical reasons to do that, and I agree with them. But at the same time, uh, both with the drowned refugees and with, for example, videos like uh, the cop- the cops uh, summarily executing Walter Scott and Eric Garner's death. There are very strong ethical reasons to have that proliferate. Right. Um, so we have to look at why I think, and I'm not saying there should be a general rule, but we have to look at why there is a difference with the way corpses and the process of death plays out. Uh, one argument is well. You know, if it's the killer who wants the footage out, like with ISIS, then, you know, why feed into their propaganda? But I don't think that quite hits it because there's a lot more, um, you know, white corpses that we don't show that aren't part of a killer's propaganda. Um, so really, I think the question we have to ask is, why is it that to tell the history of a tragedy uh, perpetrated against brown and black bodies, why do we need images of corpses and death to humanize the stories of repression and pain of oppressed people, like black and brown bodies. And with white people, it's not what's done. And I think it does, it it points to structural inequity because white narratives are sort of humanized anyway. The only way we get to talk about racist police violence or refugee struggle is quite tragically through the, a visual landscape of death. So
1: do you think it's actually acknowledging that it comes from a place of inequality... Do you think though that there's something actually good about this? Because does it work to get people to see people that they wouldn't otherwise see as as human in a more humanized way?
8: Um, I think it's 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 necessary, right? Something can be a shame, but of course we have to show these police executions. Of, of course, images um, from the Mediterranean are, are crucial, but I, I think it's worth noting the difference, and that's a that's a really sad state of affairs and it points to the struggle necessary that we're at a point now where we can only kind of humanize the narratives when we're really talking about piles of corpses and that and that's historically true if you think about the images that came out of uh, corpse upon corpse when the concentration camps were liberated by the the US and you know there was that very haunting echo so I think it was Goebbels and this wasn't about dead bodies, but it was about sympathy through showing something painful, said the Jews bring out their pitiable dead. And then creepily, during the last Israeli assault on Gaza, Benjamin Netanyahu said that Hamas show the Palestinian telegenic dead By which he means children. Like you created the telegenic dead. But there's a truth of the matter that the U.S. media, it sort of was necessary to show the desperation of Palestinian parents grasping their dead children after that assault to talk about the struggles of Gaza. So you're looking at the same iniquity there. And it's historic.
1: So, uh, yeah, it seems like more of a reflection of a problem Mm -hmm. than... Maybe it perpetuates it, but it's like a necessary perpetuation, necessary evil in order th- to get people to pay
8: attention? I think so, and I'm not really sure it's an evil, but it's something oh, right. we should know. It's using exactly that. Phrase, that. But. Natasha
1: Leonard, thank you so much. Where can sure. people find you on the internet?
8: At uh, Natasha Leonard at Twitter is the best.
1: <laughs> Great, and we want to have you back. Can't wait. Don't forget, guys, to come back. October 14th, we have Judah Friedlander, October 28th, Ta-Nehisi Coates, NBD, no big deal. Check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, and our Facebook page. This is the Katie Helper Show. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks, Reggie. See you guys on the 14th we're taking next week off for fundraising stuff Bye. see ya